Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome for the next 90 minutes to a program called Prophecy Today. We endeavor to go around the world, talk with our broadcast partners, find out what they have to tell us about the headlines, giving us details behind the headlines, great information that we assimilate and then put out for those who are students of Bible prophecy to be able to come to a better understanding of how these current events are actually assisting in setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have my six broadcast partners all lined up. We'll go to Israel. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to be talking with Menno Kalashir. He is a Jewish man who converted to Christianity and now is a pastor of a church and trying to lead Jewish people to Jesus Christ. You'll understand why that is a part of our discussion when I talk with David James. He's going to be talking to us about God TV coming out of Europe. They wanted to go on the air in Israel and try to convert the Jews to Christianity. Quite a big discussion going on in Israel on that particular subject. Also, we'll be going to Sam Rohr. Sam is the spokesperson, the the man who has a radio and television ministry, Stand in the Gap Today. We're going to be talking about America and the division of our great United States of America. All of this, plus much, much more, right here on Prophecy Today. And we go to our number one guy in the lineup of our broadcast partners. He's in southern France. I'm talking, of course, about Ken Timmerman. He's a world traveler. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because he's been right there in southern France uh, just because of what the French government is telling him. You've got to stay right there right now. You can't even come back to the United States, can you, Ken? Jimmy, I can't even go more than 60 miles from my home. (laughs) So traveling is a bit out of the question these days. Let me get into the issues I wanted to discuss with you, Ken. Number one, Iran is urging the international community to support Palestinian liberation on Nakba Day. Now tell our listeners what Nakba Day is and what about Iran urging support for the Palestinian cause. Well, Nakba is the Arabic word for catastrophe. They celebrate the catastrophe on Israel's birthday, right? So they claim the Nakba, the catastrophe, was the beginning of the state of Israel in uh, May of uh, 1948. And every year on May 14th, they they celebrate this uh, anniversary as a great catastrophe for the Palestinian people, who, by the way, did not really exist in 1948. They were Jordanians and Egyptians, Arabs, who lived in the UN mandate of Palestine. Palestine, but there was no Palestinian people at that point. But the Iranians have, you know, tried to make great hay out of this, and and uh, this year they're unable in Iran because of the sanitary conditions with the uh, COVID-19 virus. Uh, they're unable to hold these mass demonstrations. So now they're hope- hoping that other people will do so in their countries <laughs> instead of of Iran. Their parliament. Uh, their rubber stamp parliament passed a resolution calling on the government to establish an embassy in Jerusalem to Palestine. Uh, Of course, there is no such thing as Palestine. There's no Palestinian government. There's a Palestinian authority, but there is no Palestine. So, you know, the Iranians continue to live in their parallel universe, and I don't see them changing anytime soon as long as this regime stays in power. 
Yes, and because of what you just reported, Israel remains focused on Iran and the possibility that they could attack the Jewish state in their plan to destroy, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And they do this in spite of the virus that's going on. So Israel has to be very circumspect as to what is happening when it relates to Iran, don't they? Of course they do, and and that's why the Israelis watch very closely what's happening with Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed militia in Lebanon. They carefully watch their missile tests. They were very interested to watch the Revolutionary Guard's mishap recently in a missile test that they carried out just outside the Persian Gulf in the Gulf of Oman when a uh, naval ship that was towing a target to be hit with the Iranian knockoff of a Chinese maritime missile, an anti-shipping missile called the C-802. The missile hit the ship towing the target instead of the target and pretty much destroyed it, hit it amidships, did not sink it. It was towed into, into port but killed 19 of the 30 sailors on board. So, yeah, the Israelis watch very, very carefully. They are concerned about these particular missiles, the C-802s, because they were transferred to Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Hezbollah fired two of them against an Israeli fast attack uh, ship in 2006, during at, at the very start of that war with Hezbollah that I went to cover for Newsmax and others. So they've got their eyes on these missile tests. They are worried that the Iranians uh, continue to build up that capability. On the other hand, they see that the Revolutionary Guard has feet of clay and makes mistakes, sometimes very big and very costly mistakes. And in light of what you're talking about right now, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, made a visit to Israel, meeting with the Prime Minister, the new Prime Minister, when they install the government. And he made the statement that Iran is attempting to foment terror across the entire Middle Eastern region, especially under the protection of the coronavirus outbreak, which they think may be hiding what they're endeavoring to do. Well, that's right. And I think one of the things that Secretary Pompeo is concerned about is what's happening in Iraq today as Iran continues to expand its relationship with local Iraqi militias. In the month of March, for example, the U.S. accelerated the handoff of four U.S. bases in Iraq to local partners, including a very key base at Al-Qaim, which is on the border between Iraq and Syria, a very important base for controlling ISIS, for controlling the oil fields in Syria. And I'm willing to guarantee you that in six months' time, that base is going to be controlled by the Iranians in Iraq through their proxy militia. And I think this is one of the things that Secretary Pompeo is very worried about. He's worried about Hezbollah in Lebanon, but he's also very worried about these Iranian militias in Iraq, which are taking an increasingly important role on the ground, lobbing missiles at uh, U.S. forces, and ultimately, as I say, taking over those bases that the U.S. is uh, increasingly forced to abandon in Iraq. Ken, thank you very much for bringing our attention to what Iran is doing in Iraq. This is key. Prophetically, it has a very important significance when you look at Revelation 18 and what is referred to as Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Well, you mentioned Islamic State there briefly. 
while the focus is on the coronavirus pandemic, while the focus is on Iran, which is what we're talking about, the possible move out of Syria, Islamic State seems to be looking towards a comeback. What do we know? Well, they have been carrying out assassinations in Syria of Syrian officials and of militia leaders of opposing militias recently, something that they hadn't been doing over the previous year. So they've been rearing their ugly head again in Syria. They also appear to be working underground in Iraq pretty much unabated. They're not being opposed by these Iranian militias very much. They are just under the surface, if you wish, Jimmy. They do not yet... ISIS does not yet have territory in Syria or in Iraq, and most of the people I've been speaking to do not expect that to happen in the near future. Uh, But they are a a force on the ground. They're a force underground. Uh, They're working through their terror networks, and they're trying to build back up their networks in both Syria and Iraq to do the type of evil deeds that we have unfortunately grown accustomed to them accomplishing. Ken, when I have a conversation with you, I don't want us to ever leave out China and what they are doing because China is indeed in this world today a very major power, but in Bible prophecy they will be the major power in the last maybe six months of the seven-year tribulation period. More on that when I take a look at the book at the end of the broadcast. But the Chinese are now watching the Western-Russian competition. In other words, basically the competition between the United States and Russia. What is this? Are they going to watch Russia and the United States tear each other up and then come to power? Well, you know, this is the old great power game. We have been playing it for the past two generations uh, with the Russians and the Chinese pitting one against the other. And the Chinese are doing exactly the same thing. When they were in competition with Russia in the 60s and the 70s, they needed the United States on their side to pin down the Soviet Union. Now that that conflict is over, they are using Russia to pin us down. So they are, yes, they are watching what Russia is doing. They're trying to take advantage of Russia's weaknesses in Eurasia, their weaknesses in the Caucasus, um, in, in places like uh, the Republic of Georgia. They're expanding their Belt and Road Initiative to gain access to Western Europe. And the Russians are letting them do this. There's no longer an open competition between Russia and China. There is a, a pretty much of a cooperation between the two, but there is no doubt in my mind that China is the ascendant power. Russia is on the decline, uh, and Russia is, is going along with this creeping Chinese expansionism because it is to their financial benefit and temporarily at least to their political benefit against the West. China offers them an out, an escape valve from Western sanctions, and that is critical to keeping the Russian economy alive. And it's also critical to setting the world stage for the prophetic scenario that's laid out in God's Word to be fulfilled. Key to this conversation is that Ken Timmerman has the insight into all of these issues we discussed with him on a weekly basis. Ken, just a great conversation with you always. Thank you so much. Stay safe, my good friend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless to you and your lovely wife and family. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan, he's standing by at the broadcast table to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're bringing our broadcast partners to the broadcast table to give us details about current events around the world as they seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, speaking of around the world, let me tell you about an email I got this week. We got an email from Linda in Australia, and she told me in the email that she and her father listen to the broadcast each and every week. Well, hello, Linda. A shout-out to Linda and her dad there in Australia. And by the way, Linda, uh, be our little missionary for Prophecy Today and go out and tell others about the broadcast. Get them to tune in as well. But we're so glad that you sent the note. It's encouraging to realize not only we are on a network of stations across the United States, but reaching out around the world through the Internet as well. Thank you so much, Linda, for sending us that email. Well, we're going to David Dolan, as promised, to give him an opportunity to give us his Middle East news update. And David, I thought I would be able to start the program by saying when I had my conversation with you, finally, we have an Israeli government. That was to happen at 1 o'clock in Israel on Thursday, and then it was at 10 o'clock at night. Then again, it was postponed, supposed to be on Sunday. We are going to have an Israeli government. I think everything's decided. And since we can't talk about the government that's absolutely in place as of this moment, 
Let's talk about some of the players. Now, you have the prime minister, the defense minister, and then the foreign minister. Those are the top three positions in any Israeli government. We know that the prime minister is going to be Benjamin Netanyahu at least for the next 18 months. The foreign minister will be a key position because Benny Gantz, who is the number two guy, He's going to be the defense minister, but you know the foreign minister pretty well. He was the former chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Force, Gabby Ashkenazi. Uh, Talk to us about this guy. I think you had a relationship with him when he was coming up through the ranks, correct? Well, yes, Jimmy. I was in South Lebanon when he first hit the headlines, as it were, in Israel. He was the deputy commander at the time of the Golani Brigade, the elite Israeli military units in the north that defend against Syria and Hezbollah mainly. And he was the leader, actually, on June 8, 1982, of the platoon that captured Beaufort Castle. Now, that was a crusader castle, still there, the remnants of it anyway, just on the hill above the town of Kiryat Shmona and other northern Galilee Israeli cities. It was on a hill, and the PLO had it, and they used it as the site for sending rockets into northern Israel. And Ashkenazi, a unique man, he was leading the troops that captured that successfully. Very interesting background, Jimmy, even though his name is Ashkenazi, which uh, comes from Jews from European origin, and in fact, his father was from Bulgaria, a Holocaust survivor. His mother was a Syrian Jew. He has very unique views on Syria because of those family connections. He's very tough on Syria, very tough on Hezbollah, and also on the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, where he led some of the forces there. And of course, he was chief of staff, ultimately, in the military. So the top three leaders of Israel right now have deep military experience. In the case of Netanyahu, it's more from running the uh, defense ministry for a while, but all of them are very, very, very deeply involved in what's going on regionally and with Syria and these sorts of things. So it'll be really interesting to see what they uh, come up with when they get into power. The holdup, of course, the Likud, some of uh, Netanyahu's own people, very upset that they weren't appointed to cabinet positions. And just at the last minute on Thursday, they revolted and said, we want to be included. But he's got to balance Netanyahu does with the Kola Levan, the left-wing group joining the emergency coalition. So a lot of people have been left out. They're not happy with it. But hopefully on Sunday, we will get the new government sworn in. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed that that is going to be the case. I think they're probably as much concerned about this as we are as we talk about it. Well, we want to keep you, my dear friend, the listener to Prophecy Today, informed on what is happening because human government is key in the way the Lord will lead these nations of the world into his plan for the future. One of the items on the agenda for the new government, it will be the annexation of Judea and Samaria, and in including in that annexation, they're going to put the Jordan Valley as well. That's a high security location for the state of Israel. But uh, I've just heard information coming out of Jordan that King Abdullah said, look, you do annexation, get ready. And it sounded like he was warning they could go to war, a confrontation. What do we know? 
Yes, indeed. He's very, very upset, he says, over this annexation plan. The United States government would allow Israel to annex about 35% of Judea and Samaria. These are all Jewish-dominated areas, and the strategic Jordan Valley, the rest of the 70% would become a Palestinian state eventually if the Palestinians agreed to the deal. But, of course, they've totally rejected it. And the Jordanian king has come under enormous pressure from the Palestinians in his own kingdom to oppose this, and he's strongly doing that. And this comes as the State Department has reiterated that it wants to see these annexations as part of a peace deal with the Palestinians, if possible. If the Palestinians won't come to the table, Israel would be allowed to annex anyway, but the State Department is urging that that not be the process because, of course, that could easily lead to conflict and regional war. The Israelis are very, very aware of that. Now is the time with this administration that may not be in power uh, next year to make some moves, and the top three leaders, all military men, as I said, are military-minded in the case of Netanyahu, want to see this go forward. So we'll probably see something happen, but the results are definitely going to be dramatic. And we had an upsurge of terrorism this week. We had an Israeli soldier killed by a block being dropped on his head in Judea and Samaria. And we are already seeing an increase in violence in reaction to this probable annexation coming later this year. Interesting to note that Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, made a visit to Israel, albeit a short visit, I think about six hours he was on the ground. And he had a meeting with the Prime Minister Netanyahu and also the potential leader as Prime Minister later on in this next government. But as we've already mentioned, the Defense Minister, Benny Gantz, they met together. And Pompeo made the definite statement, the decision on annexation is not going to be up to the United States, the European Union, it's going to be up to Israel. That's a good green light for the Israeli government coming into position, isn't it? It is, and the U.S. ambassador to Israel reiterated that as well this week. So the two top diplomats basically saying, we'll at the very least look the other way. It's up to you, Israel, the annexation. But again, the State Department warning several times this week that this should be done as part of a larger peace deal, they're saying, or else there will be a trouble ahead. But it looks like the annexation is top of the agenda and something that certainly a majority of Israelis want to see happen. So I think we will see that go forward. But again, it's going to spark uh, some trouble, and there's already uh, the rest of the troubles going on. The emergency government primarily being set up to deal with the economic consequences of the coronavirus crisis. So not primarily to annex, but uh, again, the top leaders are all in agreement on that, basically. Although Benny Gantz and the Blue and White Party wants to go more slowly and is more cautious about it, so we'll see in the end what actually happens could be different from what uh, we're being told at present. You might remember I had conversations with David Dolan back in April, April the 29th, when Israel celebrated their Independence Day. That's according to the Jewish calendar, but the Christian calendar mentions May the 14th as Independence Day back in 1948. And because of that date and because of the activities on that date back in 48, the Palestinians observed Nakba Day, and they asked the entire Islamic world to join with them. Quite an interesting event happening from the area of the Islamic world. 
Yes, they've been commemorating what they call the catastrophe of Israel's creation in 1948. And, of course, that's the bottom line, Jimmy, as to why we haven't had a peace treaty that succeeded. We've got to remember, we had the peace accord signed on the White House lawn, and Bill Clinton got the Nobel Peace Prize and all of these sorts of things. So this has happened before, along with Yitzhak Rabin and and Yasser Arafat, of all people, and then the whole thing fell apart because at its base the Palestinians reject Israel's existence, its recreation seen as a catastrophe. Well, if you have that uh, as your beginning proposition, you're not likely to ever settle in a peaceful way. And here we are, years, yes, over 70 years later, still not at peace, still terrorism, still threats of war, nothing really has changed, nothing new under the sun there. Nothing new under the sun. I think a man named Solomon, King Solomon, uh, the third king of Israel, making that statement. Well, David Dolan, you make statements that help us to understand the situation in the Middle East, a key region in our world, as it relates to the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. So we so appreciate what you have to say to us as well. Thank you, my dear friends. Stay well, and we'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, John Rood has a European Union update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, I'm learning that phrase pretty well. I've been here for a couple of months right now. But we're so thrilled we have an opportunity to communicate across this nation and around the world with the message from God's Word, the prophetic message. And we look to our broadcast partners to give us information that will help us understand how what is happening, current event-wise, is basically setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, that is so true as we bring our next broadcast partner to the broadcast table. We're talking about John Rood. He covers the European Union for us. He lived there in Brussels for over 30 years. He knows that part of the world very, very well and gives us great insight into what is happening there. John, let's talk about the new Israeli government coming into position Prime Minister Netanyahu has made this statement that he believes he will move ahead with annexation of Judea and Samaria. However, it looks like the European Union 
is going to penalize Jerusalem because of this agenda item and the new government. What do you see as happening as it relates and the European nations ratchet up their pressure on Israel? Yes, exactly. The uh, high representative of the European Union, Joseph Burrell, he is pushing for reaction, pressure, sanctions against Israel if they go ahead with the annexation plans. Yes, to punish Israel is the outspoken desire of the European Union in this situation. It's very hard for them to come across a consensus, as we know. Some nations, such as Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, would be considered more uh, allies of Israel, and so they could vote uh, down any punitive action. Then on the other side, we have Sweden, Ireland, and Luxembourg, particularly, that are uh, pushing for very harsh reactions. I'd like to mention this because this is information that you would rarely be able to find, but speaking in terms of penalizing Israel, it could be suspending the EU-Israel Association Agreement, which is the whole relationship between the two. It could also be an exclusion from Horizon Europe, which is an EU uh, research institute. And, of course, Israel is very developed in, in research. Or also the EU could pull out of an open skies agreement for the airlines with Israel. There's a lot that can happen here, difficult to push it through. But coming from the top with the high representative, the idea is certainly Israel needs to be punished for this action. John, let me conclude asking you about the European Union right on the eve of setting their budget. They're seemingly having money problems, and the risk for the budget for the defense of the European Union seems to be moved to the side by the cost of the coronavirus situation. Yes, looking into this, I was actually quite shocked by this. That multi-billion euro defense fund has just been thrown away to some extent. There's a great strain on resources because of the coronavirus. And then we have the situation that France and Germany have pulled up in the absence of the United Kingdom and Brexit to work on an integration of European defense. And the European defense is a very complex, it's not a streamlined operation, Interesting to note, the United States, the world's largest military power, has 30 weapon systems, and the EU has 178. So that's kind of how they go trying to please everybody. But the budget is going to be drastically reduced because of the coronavirus situation, uh, strapping the resources. And also of interesting note is the money for military mobility which is EU talk for saying if they need to send troops to the east to protect or in case of any conflict with Russia, that's been taken down to zero. So the military personnel in Europe are very concerned that these many, many millions and billions are being diverted. And just as they've recovered from the 2008 financial crisis in terms of military budget, now, uh, it's all started and even more pronounced than before. And just this reminder, if indeed the European Union is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, 
in the future. They will need a strong military operation. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, he does an excellent job. That's why we have him back here at this broadcast table each and every week. John, thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you very much. Great conversation with John Rood, who gives us all the information, his European Union update, looking at the political as it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Right now, I want to bring to this broadcast table, he is a broadcast partner with us, not very often, but a dear, dear friend, his family, all of those in Israel associated with his church are good, good people, and they're doing the work of the Lord, and especially in light of this God TV controversy in Israel, I wanted to have Menno Kalashir on the line with me, the pastor of Kehilah Jerusalem, the assembly at Jerusalem. Menno, what a joy to be able to talk with you again. And, uh, you know, you've got a wonderful background. You were born to a Jewish family. You've served in the Israeli Defense Force. You started a church. You're winning Jews to Jesus Christ. But uh, that's all important, and I want to get to that. But first, I want to know, how did you come yourself to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Uh, first of all, good to hear you, Jimmy. We got together sometime, and thank God that you have been there when the church started, because I was little Timothy, and you were like big brother Paul. So <laughs> I thank God that God sent me someone to take care of me on that time. So I, I really appreciate it and learn from you what expository preaching is, and this is worth gold. So I, I really thank God for you. I really mean it. I grew up in a family that both parents are believers, and, uh, you know, they took me to church. As a, generally speaking, comfortable kid, I came to church every Saturday. We meet on Saturdays in Israel. And frankly, I can say that I can count on one or two hands the time in my life that I did not come to church. So really, church was part of life. It is kind of part of the package. During those times, I'm 57 now, during those times it was not easy to be called a believer in Jesus in Israel. Yes, we are democracy, but this issue is delicate, and it was not accepted by most people. So anyone, even if your neighbors know that you're a believer, you know that you're going to suffer for that. So I know how it is when other kids spit at you or things like that and mock you. I've learned that. So I went to the church with my parents because you go with the package. As time continues and I became 17 years old, really the brain started to kick in. And I asked myself, am I here in the church because of my choosing or because I'm just being nice to my parents? And I decided that I'm going to study for myself. And that means... If Jesus is God, I need to find him in Genesis. Jesus would never pop out of a cake in the book of Matthew. If it's God, it's God. If it's God, it's in Genesis. So that was my really path to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And I look for the places in the Old Testament, of course in Hebrew, where the text really means that there is plurality in the one God has. And for in order to know whether God speaks to angels or other parties which are not divine figures, I bought the rabbinical commentaries, and I wanted to see what do they say about it, because the text is very clear. The text is idiot-proof, as we call it. 
Now I know it's the Holy Spirit the one who reveals it to you and open your eyes. But in those times I realized, what's wrong with them? It's one plus one is two. How do you call it three, you know, or seven? It's the context, the text is so clear. So I went and I wrote down all the Messianic prophecies that were very clear, studied it for myself, really, just looked for the simple understanding of it, and realized, well, <laughs> it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the only one who fulfills these kind of things. And then went to buy rabbinical commentaries. Why to buy, not to speak with rabbis? The answer is, am I a nut? No, I'm not. Because if you speak with people, you have 700 opinions. But if no. you go to speak with these chief rabbis who already died 1,000 years, they're not going to wake up from the grave and change their mind. This is rabbinical Judaism. This is the core. So I bought these commentaries and read Rashi, Radak, Sadia, Gaon, and Maimonides, and so on. And you realize something very unique. Whenever they deal with the regular biblical text, nothing can beat them. They know the Hebrew and listen to them. So then, Minnow, actually, you were able to find Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, that then encouraged you to establish a church to let other Jewish people recognize that Jesus was there as well. Is that basically your motivation for establishing a church? Well, yes. You sum up 20 years in one se- sentence, but it is correct. <laughs> yes, it took time, but that's generally the idea. Have you been persecuted by those in Israel because you are a pastor of a church. In other words, I think I remember a most wanted sign for you because you were preaching the gospel. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. Again, when I say persecuted, I'm ashamed to say it compared to pastors in China or in Africa that some of them were gunned down because proclaiming the gospel. So it did not come to this level to my life. But posters of my faith telling the people it's worth, I mean, this person wants to be dead. Push him from the rock. Or this person is a poison for your children. Going out of a Bible study and all the tiles are slashed of the, of the church van. Being called by people this or that. Uh, yes, uh, we went through that. When our children went down to the high school, to the school in the neighborhood, our faces were covering the neighborhood with uh, wanted, as we call it. Be careful of these guys. They are the enemies of the nation. Or the parliament member in the Knesset said on my name, a dirty person, because we put an, an ad in the newspapers proclaiming the gospel. Well, it happened. But you know what? It just brought us closer to the Lord and motivated us to do more. I have to ask this question. Of course, it's a natural question after what you've been telling us. Have you ever done anything in the church that is against the law, a crime in Israel, for simply preaching the gospel and trying to win Jews to Jesus Christ? No, we never did anything which is considered a violation of the law. The law is very clear. That means do not pay money for a person in order to change his religion, number one. Number two, do not preach to minors. I do not preach to minors. Uh, We teach our children, our youth in the church, to know the Bible and to be able to share their faith. They do so to their friends at school, those who ask them. So children are speaking with children, youth are speaking with youth. I do not speak with minor. I know that uh, during this time of the coronavirus pandemic, 
here in America, it's been tough for getting a group of people together in a church so they can have their normal church service. What about in Jerusalem, there in your church? Have you been able to meet together, or have you had to use innovative ways to continue the operation of your church? No, we cannot meet in the church. The church workers are in the church right now, but only in the last two weeks. Until then, we were in quarantine. We were isolated at home. We did everything from our homes. We did the regular church meeting through the Zoom, through the WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups, through the Internet. No, until today, we cannot meet in the church. God willing, if everything will be okay, it will be, uh, we will be able to start it from June 15. But what we did is really, um, some, many of our people have lost their job or are on vacation, as we call it. So the church, what we ask the people is to make sure that they will keep their cash, whatever they had. We blocked all our expenses and just kept it for emergencies, keeping the salaries for the church workers and helping the needy families. Needy families sent their uh, utility bills, the church paid it all. We called one by one to make sure that no one is without any vital issues in his life. By God's grace, everything went well. Everything went well. We thank God for it. Well, what a unbelievable testimony. Even though the coronavirus pandemic is very active there in the state of Israel, uh, the church that Menno Kalashir is the pastor of, continuing on, and as you look at God's word in the book of Acts, seems to me that Menno and his church people are continuing on the traditions of how the church should operate and is operating today there in Jerusalem. Menno, it's been a delight to be able to have a conversation with you. I tell you that our prayers have been with you, your family, and the church members. We'll keep praying for you, but uh, praise the Lord, buddy. Keep looking up because the rapture is about to happen, and keep preaching the Word of God, especially to the Jewish people. Amen, amen. I do believe sharing the gospel with the Jews is an expression of love, true love. What a joy to be able to talk with Menno Kalashir. The joy of my life during the early 90s and then into the early 2000s as well was helping assisting Minnow to become the pastor of that great church there in Jerusalem. And indeed, dear friends, he is giving the gospel message to Jewish people. But later on in the program, next half hour, I'm going to talk with David James. We're going to see what the Bible says about all people needing to come to Jesus Christ, Gentiles and Jews. You do not want to miss that conversation that I'll have with David James. But before that, and before the top of the hour, Sam Rohr is coming to this broadcast table. He is a dear friend for a number of years now. We've been partnering in ministry on the radio. Sam is the president of the American Pastors Network, host of Stand in the Gap Today, the both the radio and the television program. I'm on the radio with them, and we, every other Wednesday, come together. I give them a Middle East news update, what's going on in the Middle East that prophetically is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Uh, Sam also has a background in the political arena. For a number of years, he was a state senator in the state of Pennsylvania. 
Sam, thank you so very much coming on with us today to discuss something that has got me really concerned about what's going on in America. Now, from my home for the last couple of months, we've been doing the broadcast, not traveling in churches as we normally do. But from what I can glean watching the cable news and everything else that I can get into my broadcast headquarters to understand what's happening in the world, seems like we are a divided country, both physically, and I know that's true because as grandparents, Judy and I are being kept from being able to love and hug and kiss our grandchildren. They have to stand between a glass sliding door so we can spend some time with them. You may know well what I'm talking about. But from a political perspective, it seems very divided. Am I pretty on target as far as that's concerned, Sam? Well, Brother Jimmy, I think you're exactly on target. Yes, we are a divided nation. We may be the United States of America, but we are probably the less united states of America than I've seen in my 65 years uh, of living. And so the division is not just because of COVID policy separating people physically for a period of time, but we are divided down the lines of, uh, I would say, primarily world view. We're divided down the line of our view of the Constitution and the rule of law. We're divided on our view of moral truth. Frankly, we're divided on the issue of what is truth. So on all of those things and more, Jimmy, we are divided, and it's a, it's a very sobering and concerning thing for me as well. And we're talking basically, as you mentioned those things, worldview, in result is our understanding of a political agenda for the United States of America. And so is it because of the fact of our worldview, or is it the truth that we have different ideas as it relates to the Constitution, to what God's plan is for using human government, or is this man-made? Is it being deliberately put in place a division to cause America to ultimately come apart? Jimmy, it goes very deep, I believe, and it is not in the political sense of the word Democrat versus Republican, as an example, it is no longer what someone used to think many years ago when, at the end of the day, Republican or Democrat, you would come around a common view that we are a sovereign nation, that we identify our Constitution and those who took the oath, Democrat or Republican, to support and to defend the Constitution. Ultimately, they would fight and they would fume, but they would come together on the most basic of items. The kind of agreement that allowed all the way back in the 60s when Congress made our national motto and said, in God we trust. I mean, Democrat and Republican did that. It was nearly a unanimous vote. But now, today, oh, it's Democrats and Republicans pointing their fingers at it, but it's no longer just a difference of opinion because of a political advantage. This goes to the very fundamental aspect of, do we have a Constitution that any longer should be followed? Is there any such thing now as absolute truth? Moral law has been thrown out, so you will have those who say, let's kill our babies, even at the day of a point of birth. And others say, no, you can't kill our babies because that's murder. It's far more ideological 
And that's why I went back to the fact it's worldview. It takes us right down to do we believe that there is a God who created, who is a judge, and laid out a moral standard for the world to follow, or do we not believe there is a creator God? We answer to no one, and we can do that whichever we want. That, I believe, is what's driving the division in, the, in our nation now, Jimmy, more than, more than anything. It's not any longer political. Oh, it has a political face, but it's far deeper than that. Well, some have even suggested that this divide could lead us into another civil war. Do you think that's a viable possibility at all? Well, I know that there are some who have said that. Uh, I mean, a, a rabbi from New York City said that those Jews ought to be getting back to Israel because he foresaw that there would be a civil war in America. Yeah, as an example, in reality, Jimmy, a nation cannot remain a nation without a common view of, of a greater power. I mean, what is a nation? It's a common geography with common borders, which is under attack, as we know. It's a common language, which, as you know, was undermined a long time ago, and we hardly have a single common language now here. And it's a common view of God, a common religion. Well, we long ago said, diversity, diversity, whatever you want, every view of religion is equal. And because of that, Jimmy, I believe that because the three things, the three legs that make a nation a nation have been so undermined, convoluted, or or distorted, it does put at jeopardy the viability of our nation. And when that happens, it does ultimately resort to those who are fighting because they no longer have a point to which they uh, agree. And that is, that is something that will happen if we don't regain a unity around some common points here. Well, in fact, Sam, I do believe that we have stated the problems pretty distinctly But what is the answer? What are you telling as the president of the American Pastors Network? What are you telling pastors and their congregants, the Christians, how to solve this problem of this great division here in America? Well, because we as believers understand that at the heart of the issue, everything is a spiritual issue. We know that we fight against spiritual wickedness in high places, being in office, you having run for office years ago, you know that we see evil versus good, the devil fighting against the powers of God. We see that in positions of authority. That's just the way it is. But the only way that there can be unity in a way that brings, I'm going to put it this way, brings the blessings of freedom and the blessings that come with uh, what God promises is when we get back in agreement with who he is. It's not possible. Even our founders very clearly said that this form of government that we have, this self-government experience, William Penn called it a holy experiment in self-government, could only happen with a holy religious people, meaning, and and, and Penn and others said, that you could not have self-government, a freedom, a representative republic, what we have now, unless people voluntary, limited their choices, their desires, and their actions according to the Ten Commandments of God. Now, that's what they believe. That's what they said. But we've thrown that out. So, simply put, we cannot—let's put this put in a positive tense—there can be unity, 
there can be, once again, God's blessing, but only when God's people, who know who God is, leads the way with obedient lives, a healthy fear of God, a re-embracing of the biblical authority of Scripture, these elements, and put them forth and live it out in our life. And the pulpits must be the positions from which these truths are preached. If the pulpits remain silent, there will be no unity. If the pulpits remain silent, then what we are seeing will only increase as God puts judgment upon this nation who once knew who he was but has turned its back upon him. This is a spiritually solved issue. God's people, the remnant, are those who God has always worked through, and we are the ones that hold the key. I am saying to people, are we yet serious? Have we seen enough? Uh, has God gotten done enough to get our attention? And have our lives, in the last six weeks of this whole COVID business, have our lives, have our priorities, have our dependencies moved from our idolaters' worship of entertainment and sports and our bank accounts? Have we moved from that to a full dependence upon the God of heaven? And if the Church has not done that, and if we're not preaching that, Jimmy, there is no hope. But if we do, then God will hear an answer. Wow. Great exhortation, Sam. And praise the Lord that you are the president of the American Pastors Network, and they're encouraging the pastors under your leadership to do that. And praise the Lord for a radio and television ministry that you have. Stand in the gap today, by the way. If you have that on one of the network affiliates in your area, make sure that you tune in. It's 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on the radio network. Sam, thank you so much. Boy, you've encouraged me. I'm ready to get a water pistol and go out and go against hell and try to put that fire out. But uh, you've got me excited about what uh, we should be doing We've talked about the problem. We've talked about the answer as well. Sam, God bless you, man. See you on the radio in a week or so. God bless you, Jimmy. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. David James is going to join me. We're going to ask the question, do Jews need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome back to the last half hour of this 90-minute program that we are using to get information into you so that you can understand how current events are actually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Thank you for joining us. David James and I will have a conversation in just a moment. want you to Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page, and if you will, answer my poll question. It's on the left-hand column of the home page, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down, you'll find the question, and here is the question. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin are death, and that all must come to Jesus Christ in order to get saved, even the Jewish people. Paul, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, said that he would be willing to go to hell, to be accursed, if Jews would come to Jesus Christ. 
Here's the question. Do you believe that Jews must come to Jesus Christ to be saved? Now, that's my poll question. Be sure to answer the poll question. Let me remind you that at my YouTube channel, we have a lot of teaching of Bible prophecy. That address at my YouTube channel, youtubechannel.com forward slash prophecy today. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I, on a weekly basis, come together and have a conversation on an issue focused on that particular issue for the purpose of helping us to understand, we as Christians, to understand the prophetic and biblical significance of this particular issue. Uh, We discuss these issues, and we want you to interact with us. Many of you are doing exactly that uh, by sending us emails, and we appreciate it so very much. In fact, we mentioned earlier on the broadcast, Linda and her dad down in Australia listening to the broadcast. We wanted to shout out to them, but they are so grateful for what we do, David. And I'm glad that we can make this service available to the body of Christ. This week, we've been following a story involving God TV programming in Israel and the question of whether we need to be concerned about evangelizing the Jewish people. And earlier, I was talking with Minno Kalashir. His testimony and his ministry was the focus of our conversation He comes out of a Jewish background, his mom and dad Jewish. He was born as a Jew, served in the Israeli Defense Force, and now is pastoring a church there in Israel. I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, well, I'll talk about Menno here in just a moment, but that story you mentioned, it's not just a developing story, it's become a complicated and controversial one involving God TV, uh, the Israeli government, as well as leaders in both the Jewish and evangelical communities in Israel, as well as here in the United States. And, you know, I didn't have a chance yet to hear your conversation with Menno, but I'm sure it was encouraging for our listeners. You know, Jimmy, I've known that Menno is someone... You have personally mentored and discipled, and I would have to say that based on what I've seen of his ministry over the years, you've had a great impact in his life. Well, I thank you for your kind comments, and in fact, speaking of that, his ministry of reaching people for Christ leads us right into the heart of our discussion for today. Maybe you could give us some background concerning what started this controversy you were mentioning about God TV. Sure. Well, as I said before, it's become both complicated and controversial, and it's been widely discussed in a variety of forums and media outlets. For example, on Tuesday, the Jerusalem Post ran an article with the headline, Is God TV a Threat to Jewish-Christian Ties? And the following was their really fairly long tagline. It read, The record of Christian efforts to convert Jews and the horrific anti-Semitism that flowed from anti-Jewish Christian Christian doctrines are part and parcel of Jewish identity today. And then the article went on to say this, it has been widely reported over the past week that a new cable TV station on the hot 
that's H-O-T, cable system in Israel, has begun broadcasting. Shalanu TV, the Israel affiliate of the American evangelical media giant God TV, aims to bring the gospel of Jesus to Israeli Jews in their own language. And then on Wednesday, NBC ran an article with the headline, Israel considers shutting down evangelical Christian God TV's channel. And interesting, their tagline on that story was there are nine million people in Israel who need to hear the gospel of Jesus, CEO Ward Simpson said. And that article went on to say God TV, a UK-registered evangelical Christian media company, had signed a seven-year contract with Israeli cable provider HOT to broadcast its uh, new Hebrew-language channel in Israel. So, David, let's talk about the concern and criticisms coming out of Israel because they're now threatening to shut down the programming, although at the beginning they approved it. Well, going back to the Jerusalem Post article, they reported this. As has been reported in these pages, Communications Minister David Anselm has publicly stated that he will revoke the license of Shalanu TV if, in fact, it is broadcasting content designed to proselytize Jews with the message of Christian faith in Jesus. And then in another Jerusalem Post article, one rabbi had this to say. They intend, they say, to bring the gospel of Yeshua, the Messiah, to nine million Israelis. Bringing the gospel to nine million Israelis is another way of saying they intend to convert the elderly, and they say it, meaning men, women, and children, which is against the law in Israel. So, Jimmy, many Jews are suspicious of evangelicals in the first place, and so God TV's apparent intent to evangelize Jews simply confirms what those Jews already believe. What they believe is that it is no matter what support Israel may receive from evangelicals, their true motive for friendship with Israel is ultimately to convert Jews to Christianity, and they have a real problem with this. And then the Jerusalem Post article went on to say, the record of Christian efforts to convert Jews and the horrific anti-Semitism that flow from anti-Jewish Christian doctrines are part and parcel of Jewish identity today, whether we like it or not. To try to pull Jews away from Jewish faith and toward Christianity is to attack the Jewish people and the Jewishness of the state of Israel. So we can see that they're clearly concerned and even upset about this. You know, David, another disturbing part of this whole story is that some Christians here in the United States have also criticized the God TV programming. And I'm wondering, why in the world would they do that? Well, on Tuesday, the nationalnews.com website reported on this, saying Tennessee-based evangelical leader Lori Cardoza-Moore has called on the Israeli government to ban God TV from broadcasting programs focused on converting Jews to Christianity. So Cardoza-Moore has a ministry called Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, which is located in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, south of Nashville. And she also hosts a television program called Focus on Israel, which at one time actually aired on God TV. And she issued a statement in which she said this, I have written to the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli Communications Minister, David Amsalem, 
and the director of the government press office, Nitsan Chen, calling on them to ban God TV from airing missionary content focused at converting Jews to Christianity. She also said this, Unfortunately, because of biblical illiteracy, we are seeing a rise of anti-Semitism again in Christianity. Christians have adopted false doctrines and traditions known as replacement theology. And then finally she went on to say, Our only mandate to the Jewish people is to love and support them because they are God's chosen people. So, Jimmy, this suggests to me that she holds to what is called dual covenant theology, like John Hagee, whom we've talked about concerning this, and this means that she believes that Jews don't need to hear the gospel in order to be saved, but instead they can be saved through being Torah observant or even by virtue of just being Jewish. You know, David, I want to come back to that issue of dual covenant theology in just a moment. But I also wanted to discuss what seems to be mixed messages actually coming from God TV in response to the controversy. Well, you're right about that. There were two different articles that came out on this past Wednesday that seemed contradictory, so I'm not sure what's going on. One article was on the Israel National News website, a website I referenced earlier, and this one had the title, Evangelical God TV Apologizes for Missionary Video. The article said that God TV CEO Ward Simpson had expressed regret that his words were misunderstood to be delivering uh, missionary content. And Simpson was quoted as saying, it's very disappointing to hear and read these misunderstandings. There were things that were said and could have been said in a different way. And for that, I apologize and understand why it was offensive. When our Messianic Jewish partners commented on it, we dropped it that day. But Charisma News published an open letter by a board member of Shalanu TV in Israel, and it was an open letter to Cardoza Moore, and he said, here is what you don't know. Shalanu is a partnership with God TV and the Messianic Jewish community in Israel. Our board is 80% Hebrew-speaking Israelis. One of our members is an Israeli Arab. I was the one who brokered the deal as a Messianic Jewish Hebrew-speaking Israeli. There was no confusion about our intentions, and I have proof. Now, Jimmy, I'm not advocating for God TV because being hyper-charismatic, they have some really bad theology, and I also have to wonder how clearly they're presenting the gospel. But if they are giving the gospel, that is important. Yes, indeed. Everybody, according to a former very, very Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, needs to go out to each and every person. All of sin comes short of the glory of the God, and of course, uh, the wages of sin is death, so that gospel does need to go out. Well, that brings us then to the last point of our discussion today, David, because I want to go back to dual covenant theology and the question of whether or not we need to be concerned about getting the gospel out to the Jewish people. Your thoughts? Well, let's just pick up Paul's argument that you referred to in the book of Romans. And we need to keep in mind, as you said, like all the apostles, Paul was ethnically Jewish. 
So in chapters 1 and 2, he makes it clear that all, both Jews and Gentiles, stand guilty before a holy God. In Romans 3, Paul says that none are righteous and that all have sinned. In the next chapter, Paul makes it clear that no one can be saved by works, including by keeping the law. In chapter 5, he says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the next chapter, we read that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then jumping ahead to Romans 9 through 11, Paul turns to a discussion of the Jewish people, and in the first few verses of chapter 9, he expresses sorrow and grief for his brethren who have all the advantages of their heritage but still aren't saved. And then in Romans 10, 13, we read that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he asks the question, how to how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And Paul makes it clear in verse 12 that there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. All must hear that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, died for our sins and rose from the dead and must believe that to be saved. That is God's Word. That is absolute, and that should be our pattern of activity as it relates to Jewish evangelism, Gentile evangelism, evangelism to everyone. And the only reason that Jesus Christ has not raptured us out of here is because, according to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. He's not doing away with his promise, but he wants all to come to know him as Lord and Savior. All. A-L-L. I think uh, this was great. And by the way, if you'd like to hear about a Jewish man and you missed the conversation I had with Menno Kalashir, he's a pastor giving out the gospel to Jewish people and seeing results there in his church in Jerusalem. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, and there you'll find the conversation I had with Menno Kalashir. David, I think this was an important discussion. We saw the controversy going on, but that's what we do. We jump into controversy and try to give the biblical understanding of how we should walk every day in light of the knowledge that we have from the Word of God. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll take the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? 
In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. For the last 90 minutes, I have been talking with my broadcast partners stationed around the world so that we could get details, information about current events, news headlines that seemingly are indicators of how the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This is a key component of our weekly broadcast, and we spend this 90 minutes asking you to give us that much time so that you can better understand how the prophetic passages in God's Word are quickly coming together. Glad to have these broadcast partners on the team with us here on Prophecy Today. By the way, if you missed any of the reports, you can listen to them. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN. There we have listed under weekly interviews all of the reports we got from our broadcast partners today. And after you've listened to them, you might well want to send a link to a friend who may be interested in Bible prophecy, or you can use this as a way to introduce them into the study of Bible prophecy. Tell them about the address where they can listen to these reports. Again, that address is prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You know, today we went to our broadcast partners for the details on these current events, and let me give you the examples of what our broadcast partners had to say. Ken Timmerman was located in southern France, and he says that Israel remains alert to the threat from Iran. Though Iran seems to be pulling out of Syria, the Israeli Defense Force is on high alert there in the northern part of the state of Israel. They may go. The Iranians may well leave and go back home because they've got some real problems there. But they will be back. I know that is the case. Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 5 mentions Persia, and that is modern-day Iran. There will be an alignment of nations that will endeavor to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, and Iran will be one of those major players. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. He said that the Israeli government will come to power. They were supposed to do that on Thursday. Now it's postponed to Sunday. But God uses human government, Revelation 17:17. 17, 17. So I know that the Israeli government will come to power so the Lord can accomplish his will through this Jewish state. 
They will be open for business. And when I say that, I'm saying they will be preparing for war over the idea of annexation. One of the campaign promises from Prime Minister Netanyahu was to annex or give sovereignty over Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. These are key locations in Israel as it relates to the security of the Jewish state. And I want to tell you, the Jordanians, the Palestinians, and in fact the Islamic world are opposed. This may bring a war against the Jewish state. Israel is preparing for that war. John Rood gave us his European Union update. John is key as he reports the political activities of the European Union as it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. One of the things that John reported was that the European Union is totally against Israeli annexation. The European Union is pushing Israel not to annex the area they refer to as the West Bank, nor the Jordan Valley. I have to tell you, my dear friend, this is a precursor to the future, because according to Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, the European Union will become the revived Roman Empire. The book of Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, talks about a government headed up by the old European Union. It's the revived Roman Empire. They are major players in the tribulation period. God's Word gives us the details on their role in the future. I talk with Menno Kalashir. He's the man that I partnered with to establish a Christian church, a church in Jerusalem, Kehilah Jerusalem. I can tell you that Menno is involved in preaching the gospel to the Jewish people, and he's preaching Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. It's amazing how he can find Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In fact, he's written a book on the subject. You need to get a copy of it. Menno is making a major impact on the Jews, especially in the city of Jerusalem, but all across the state of Israel. And he says it is not against the law to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. It is against the law to proselytize, and that means you cannot pay anybody to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, that's good. Salvation is a free gift. Sam Rohr, who is the host on Stand in the Gap today, came to confirm that America is a divided nation. It's divided physically because of the coronavirus pandemic. However, politically, it is divided as well. And this is a man-made division. Sam brought to our attention that the forefathers disagreed on issues, but they came together to lead a nation. We must do that as well. A divided nation will be destroyed. This nation, if they're going to survive, will have to trust God and the authority of God's Word. David James and I had a great conversation about the God TV controversy. God TV, a major Christian media operation, was able to acquire a cable opportunity in Israel. And then they made the statement they were going to use it to evangelize the Jewish people. However, in the end, they backtracked on that statement. Now, I am not endorsing God TV, 
But remember, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians that if the gospel is preached, he will praise the Lord. We need to encourage others like Minnow and the church he pastors in Jerusalem to continue to give the gospel to the Jewish people. Now that's the report from our broadcast partners, what they had to say, and my prophetic perspective on their reports. You know what it indicates to me? Everything they had to say tells me that the rapture is at the point that it could happen. In fact, it could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.